In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, it's just me and you, as I explain the meaning of the metaphor a jumble of crumpled papers, and discuss the daunting process of re-evaluating our beliefs and replacing toxic ideas with healthy ones. This week's conversation is based on the topics and themes in chapter 14 of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you enjoyed today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first time listener, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and today, it's just you and me. There is no special guest this week, as I wanted this conversation to really be one where I could really dive deep and explain in depth the ideas I present in this chapter, as well as share my experiences with them, because this chapter is actually the title chapter of the book, from which... This podcast, the Crumble Papers podcast, gets its name. The book, which I've said every episode, is titled A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. And this chapter, chapter 14, is titled A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. And as far as the podcast goes, you guys have a good idea, hopefully, of what the metaphor of crumpled papers refers to, right? Every single week, the last question gives an explanation of what crumpled papers are, a metaphor for the ideas and beliefs that we have believed at one point with full certainty, but at some point realized we need to reevaluate our perspective on, right? It's ideas that we knew or at least believed that we knew with complete certainty, unwaveringly, but because of various events in our lives or just the process of living through life and its experiences, realize at some point looking back, you know what, that idea, I may have more questions about that than I originally thought I did. I thought I had, I believed it with full certainty, but there's some things about that that I'm starting to question and I may not be as certain about it. That idea, right, these crumpled papers is the foundation of this entire podcast. It's going through and discerning and diving deep into our crumpled papers as well as the experiences that lead us to finding ourselves with crumpled papers, and then dissecting and extracting the good elements from the bad elements. But what we haven't gotten into at this point in the podcast, as well as this point in the book, is this fuller idea, which was the original idea for the book, of a jumble of crumpled papers. And in the book, I don't touch on this. Even though it's the title of the book, I don't touch on this idea until this chapter, because up until this point, every chapter has been leading the readers through my experiences in my church and my faith, and kind of going through the process of what led me to ultimately be in the place where this idea revealed itself to me. And the same is in the podcast, where although the crumpled papers aspect has been prevalent every episode, this full idea I have waited to fully explain until this episode. And obviously, if you've read the book already, then you already have a good idea probably of what this bigger idea of a jumble of crumpled papers means. But for those on the podcast who may not have read the book yet, um, I want to really explain this and hopefully offer some good insight. And for those who have read the book, I am hoping to add some more commentary 
to the ideas I talk about in that chapter. So hopefully there's a lot of good, new, and maybe wider ideas since I've had you know, close to a year of time to sit on what I wrote in the book and do this podcast and hear many of your guys' stories. And I myself have gained a bigger, deeper a picture of this idea. So it should be a great conversation. So the last chapter of the book, the previous chapter, as well as the previous episode of the podcast was all about the final stages of myself and my family's time as members of my childhood church. If you have not yet listened to the last episode, I would highly encourage you to go back because it was a fantastic conversation with my mom, split into two different parts of her sharing her experiences those last several months of time before finally deciding it was time to leave. It started as us starting to see things that we believed were unhealthy. Then it became worse as those things became more prevalent to us. And then there was a stage of time where, as I found many people go through the same experience of a period of time where you first resort to trying to help bring change to your community, to your church. And in some cases, that is taken well and is heard by leaders, by other members. And sometimes change is brought into effect, which is awesome. But unfortunately, for the majority of these toxic, unhealthy spiritual communities and environments, these approaches to trying to incite and bring change and fix the unhealthy issues that are being experienced and witnessed aren't taken well. And in the experiences of myself and my family, the talks and the insistence for change mostly fell on deaf ears. And because of that, there eventually came a point where we realized these issues are not going to change because the people that would have the power and influence to put those changes into effect don't seem to have the desire to. And so by the end of the previous chapter, myself and my family had all left my childhood church. And that is the point from which this chapter in the book and this episode of the podcast kicks off. And instead of jumping into my immediate experiences after leaving my church, I instead start out uh, for the first couple pages of this chapter by explaining a metaphor. And this metaphor revolves around all of the thoughts and ideas in our head. And I start by asking you to imagine all of the thoughts and ideas currently in your brain. The tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of different ideas each one distinctly affecting your view of the world around you, as well as influencing the person you are. And as we go through life, the changing and development of those thoughts and ideas also changes us. That is the human experience, going through life, experiencing things, and as a result of those things we've experienced, taking on new ideas and changing our perception of both the world around us and ourselves. But what happens in our brain when a new idea is added to the mix? This happens every day, right? A limitless amount of times every day, whether we learn a new word or memorize a new song or maybe take on a whole new language. We make a mistake, which we do plenty of times every single day. And out of that mistake, we realize what went wrong 
and the better way maybe to do something next time. We have a positive or negative experience or interaction with somebody. And out of that, we gain new insight into the kind of person they are, or maybe the kind of person we are. From every experience, situation, and moment, the world around us influences the thoughts and ideas we construct, which then, in turn, influences how we see the world. And for me, the visual that I write about that comes to mind when trying to imagine the process of my brain forging a new idea is a person sitting alone at a desk in a dimly lit room. Now, in my imagination, this desk only has two things on it. One, positioned right in the middle of the desk, is a single blank slip of paper. And the second, next to it on the side of the desk, is a stack of so many identical blank slips of paper that it reaches towards the ceiling. The person sitting at this desk has a pen, and every time a new idea is formed, he quickly writes down whatever the idea is, word for word, on that slip of paper in front of him. And once that idea is cemented in writing, I imagine him putting it into one of those plastic tubes that you used to see at drive-in banks. And uh, the scene from Elf comes to mind in the mailroom where he then puts that plastic tube into one of those suction tubes that sends it up into the deep recesses of the mind. Now, following this idea, I think about just how many slips of paper there are in our brains. So many papers that they construct buildings, and out of those buildings, cities, entirely built and made out of these slips of paper, each one representing an individual idea or belief that we have. From my perspective, I would imagine that all of these paper ideas are categorized by different topic, or maybe even by year. But regardless, there are so many paper ideas and beliefs in our minds, all of which together form who we are. And the thing about these ideas and beliefs is that they're never stagnant, as we are never stagnant as our development as people. We are always growing, always evolving, and always changing. And as such, our ideas, beliefs, and viewpoints also change as well. Just as most actual cities seem to be perpetually under construction and are never actually finished, the paper cities of ideas in our minds are always changing and evolving. The interesting thing is that when we're young, the beliefs we obtain are usually taken on for the first time. When you're just born, you don't have any ideas in your mind, so everything that you take on is for the very first time. And following the slip of paper metaphor, there is a paper written of each individual thought and idea you have that fills an empty space in your mind that has not been taken up by any previous idea yet. But this begs the question, what happens when we are exposed to a new idea or belief that contradicts or evolves on something we already believe? In the book, I use an example of ice cream. If there is somebody who has never before tried ice cream and they see an advertisement or a commercial saying that Rocky Road is the best flavor to ever exist, you have no knowledge or experience on the topic to say otherwise. This is the first idea or opinion you've been exposed to regarding ice cream flavors. You may not have the personal input to back up that assumption, but you have nothing that goes against it or says otherwise either. So as a result, due to the lack of that first-hand knowledge, you might take on that belief that Rocky Road is the best ice cream flavor because you've heard it said so. And as that idea is taken on as your own, it's written on a slip of paper and added to the library of your mind. But then the day comes where you find yourself at an ice cream shop 
you get a sample of Rocky Road and it's not bad, but then you taste cookies and cream and you realize that you don't agree with the belief you've taken on. I mean, come on. I'm sure we can all agree that cookies and cream is miles ahead of Rocky Road, but that's beside the point. Anyway, because you now believe something different, this new idea about cookies and cream must replace the idea about Rocky Road. They've found themselves in a situation where they've had to reevaluate what they initially believed with the new information they've been given to then decide what they now believe to be true. And obviously this idea far eclipses the idea of ice cream flavors. As we all go through life and get older and experience more things, we constantly find ourselves deciding that our perspective has changed on something. And this is a good thing, a healthy thing, as the longer we go through life, and the more of our beliefs are challenged and refined, the closer we come to really figuring out who we truly are and what we truly believe. We are slowly able to gain a fuller, more complete picture of ourselves and the world, and thus, I believe, a fuller, more complete picture of God and who he is. However, the process of reevaluating our beliefs isn't always as easy and painless as figuring out our favorite ice cream flavor as many, if not all of us know. In many cases, both realizing that an idea is no longer what we believe and having to replace it can result in a very rocky and uncertain period of time while we take an introspective look at what these changes mean for how we now define ourselves and the world around us. We all experience these periods of reevaluation in our lives, moments where we have to pit what we have previously believed about something up to that point with what we now realize we believe more. Based on the way we now see how something works, our old understanding just doesn't cut it anymore, and we must take the steps to replace those old mentalities with the new ones. And for me, that period of reevaluation was evoked from my decision to leave the church that I had been born and raised in. For nearly 20 years, I had been a spiritual sponge, if you will, soaking up all of the beliefs, teachings, practices, and viewpoints presented to, and sometimes even imposed upon me by those in my spiritual community. And the interesting thing about it is, when I was younger, most of the simple foundational teachings that I was given were grounded in truth, mostly. But as I grew older and those teachings evolved and deepened, many of them grew into unhealthy, even destructive ideologies that in the end resulted in me finding myself at a crossroads of where I belonged and what I believed. I've touched on this before in this podcast, and I've talked about this many times with different peers and friends from different churches, especially those who were born into a spiritual community. But it's interesting to me how much of your identity can be tied to your spiritual community or church and the beliefs that are taken on in that context. I think this can be true for anybody, no matter what age they joined a church, but from my experience, it's especially prevalent for those who were born into it or joined at a very young age. Because, going off the paper metaphor, if you join a church and become a Christian in your 30s, you have had 30 years worth of ideas and beliefs about yourself and the world and life already accumulated to you. And these new ideas about faith and church and God and the Bible are oftentimes filling spaces that already hold some kind of belief. That, like the ice cream flavors, the person has to decide to replace with this new faith-filled idea. And that idea can undoubtedly burrow very deep and become a foundational pillar of that person's identity. But that person has already constructed a deep sense of identity of who they are outside of the bubble of religion and faith. 
unlike my parents who didn't grow up as Christians but became Christians in their 20s and took on all of their Christian beliefs and ideas as an addition to the foundational ideas they already had about themselves in the world. Being born into the church, the ideas and beliefs that I had that were mostly given to me through that community and context were directly and irrevocably tied to my identity. As the things I learned to believe about myself and who I was were given to me and taken on through the context of my church and intertwined with the spiritual beliefs and teachings I was being given. And the unfortunate thing is, this wouldn't be a problem at all if these ideas and beliefs were all healthy. Because if they were, no thorough deconstruction of these beliefs would be needed. But because there were many unhealthy, even toxic ideas and beliefs, and I found myself at a place where I had to let go of many of them, I was also inadvertently letting go of foundational parts of my identity, rather than just the individual ideas and beliefs themselves. I had spent my entire life up to that point filling my head with slips of paper of all the beliefs and ideas I had about God, church, and spirituality, ranging from the simplest foundational principles to more intricate and debatable notions. Some of these ideas included the following. God is real. Jesus died so that I could be forgiven of all of my sins. Christianity is the truest religion and the only way to get to heaven. Everything in scripture is God-breathed. Our interpretation of these scriptures is 100% accurate. The way the church does things is exactly how God desires them to be done. Of course, the list goes on and on. And growing up, I believed each and every one of these ideas so deeply, so indisputably, as they are some of the strongest foundational pillars of who I knew myself to be. Of course, of that list I mentioned, many of those I still believe to be true. But the point for me then wasn't how many of those would still be things I believed. It was the fact that until this point, I had never questioned them. That is, until the day I did. And my once indestructible belief system started showing cracks as I began to realize what I once thought to be impossible. That among the many truths that my faith comprised, there were also falsities, which had infiltrated what I had thought up to that point to be an impenetrable shield of faith. I experienced betrayal, dishonesty, shame, duplicity, and artificiality, to name a few, all in the name of God. And the more aware I became of these things, the more I realized that they hadn't suddenly come out of nowhere. They had been going on my whole life and happening to many more people than just myself. And as I began to accept the possibility that maybe not all my beliefs were as foolproof as I believed, the unraveling process went something like this. The backbone for a vast majority of my Christian beliefs was my faith in the church itself. So naturally, as that faith began to waver and eventually diminish, most of these other sentiments also began to be called into question. I began to think things along the lines of, I'm not sure the church is always seeking God's will. What does that say about the God they claim to follow? Or the Bible they claim to live by? Or the rules that they say Christians are supposed to adhere to? Is the Bible completely accurate? Is it completely reliable and above reproach? Is it even inspired by God at all? What if being a member in my church isn't the only way to get to heaven? As a matter of fact, what if Christianity itself isn't the only way to get to heaven? What if Christianity was completely made up by people whose only desire was to use religion as a tool to gain power, control, and money? What if Jesus was just some normal dude who we made to be an individual larger than life? 
What if he was just a figure we made up to validate our desire to be forgiven for all the bad things we do? Does Jesus or God or heaven actually exist, or is it all the fabricated result of humanity's soul-crushing inability to comprehend death? Now, obviously, I'm sure you can see the progression in these questions, in both depth and severity. The questions begin small. They always do. And in my experience, the simple doubt in how my church operated led me down a long tunnel of questions and apprehension toward my faith as a whole, eventually cascading into some very big, very real questions. What were once my most steadfast convictions were suddenly the object of most scrutiny and debate. And the reason was clear. For the very first time in my entire life, I realized that I could no longer be absolutely sure which of the things I believed were true and which were not. Remember that city in my mind I talked about, composed of all of the slips of paper of beliefs and ideas? With this one simple admission, the wall protecting that paper city began to crumble, allowing the wind to come rushing in, a violent, chaotic gust that tore unforgivingly through the streets, sending every idea about God and church I had accumulated over my entire life into the air in a whirlwind of confusion. Now, instead of slips of paper pristinely stacked in piles and organized into boxes, the stacks were toppling, paper strewn, ripped, and mashed together, until what remained was a giant jumble of crumpled papers, a cacophony of incoherent noise that seemed impossible to distinguish. I had attained 20 years worth of ideologies, principles, and ways of thinking that I had grown up believing wholeheartedly. And because so many were originally founded on biblical truths on some level and to some degree, it seemed like an overwhelming and nearly impossible task to differentiate those truths from the spiritual inaccuracies and distortions that had been blended into them. I'm sure many of you have been in this exact spot. As a matter of fact, I know many, if not most of you, have found yourselves in a situation either identical or very similar to this. No matter how long you've been in or out of a church, no matter if you're still attending or have decided to step back, the odds are you have at some point found yourself with your own jumble of crumpled papers, each one representing an idea or belief that you had held to and lived by with wholehearted assurance. Yet now look on it, and instead of seeing the clearly defined black and white lines like before, All you see now is gray. Instead of certainty, you see the questions. Instead of the healing, you see the hurt and the wounds and the pain. Instead of the wholeness, you see the fractures. And you can't quite seem to figure out what to do next. From what I've learned and gathered, it's at this point that one of two things usually happens. The first is that this marks the end of this person's relationship with God sometimes for a specified period of time, and sometimes forever. They have spent precious time of their lives, many of them years, decades even, holding the notion that there must be something more to life than what so many settle for. That's when they find the church, where they invest in the hope of achieving something deeper, but in the end, are left thrown out to the curb in the rain, holding their jumble of crumpled papers in their hands, all the beliefs and ideas that for so long defined Not only how they saw the world and God, but also how they saw themselves. It is at this point that many people look down at those crumpled papers and see this way of life as yet another empty promise that they had once clung to, hoping it would be real, that resulted in useless ideas that only ended up hurting them. 
that had promised them life, but ended up betraying them, and leaving them feeling more lifeless and alone than perhaps they did before. So it's completely understandable when they dump that jumble of crumpled papers on the ground or a nearby dumpster, discarding every idea and belief about God and Christianity, and move on with their life, leaving any ties to God behind them for good. For many of them, they're simply too exhausted to have to expend the energy of trying again to find a new church or maybe a new religion, and once again putting their mental, emotional, and spiritual health on the line in hopes that maybe this iteration of the gospel will be the healthy one. And the unfortunate reality is that for many of them, by this point, it simply isn't worth that risk. Life is already hard enough as it is without religion, without church. And when those things end up adding to the already overwhelming stack of life's difficulties with seemingly very few positives, why would they waste their time? And for me, this is kind of becoming the metaphor episode, which is, which is fine. But a metaphor that comes to mind for me is some kind of health fruit smoothie where you got the fruit, you got the kale, you got maybe some protein stuff in there, a really, really healthy smoothie. but you realize afterwards, after it's already been made, that a little bit of lead got mixed in with all the other ingredients. And it may not have been a whole bunch. It may have been a lot, but in some cases, it may have just been a little bit. But that lead got mixed in with the rest of the smoothie. So that smoothie is not safe to drink. And if we're talking practically, there is no practical way that you're going to get that lead out of that fruit smoothie. Right. If you're an everyday person, you're not going to get that lead. It's been blended in. There's no way to extract that from the rest of the smoothie. There just isn't. And so it can feel with people regarding the ideas and beliefs that they've taken on as Christians and in the church. Are there many good things in Christianity? I believe so. There are many who don't, and that's fine. But the thing is, the problem is, at this point, for many people, it may not matter anymore if there's anything good that Christianity gives, because as a result of the damaging, toxic, abusive, unhealthy attributes that have been blended in, it results in the entire thing being undrinkable. Because even though the healthiest attributes and ideas, because of how tightly and closely they've been tied in with the unhealthy practices, ideas, ideologies, teachings, mentalities, even those healthy attributes are toxic in practice. Maybe not on paper, maybe not in theory, but in an unhealthy church that utilizes those healthy ideas in a toxic way, it results in those healthy attributes being toxic. And for many people, what other choice are you left with than to throw it out? Throw out the smoothie. And that's so unfortunate because many people, once they've gone through this, they believe that there is nothing healthy about Christianity at all. And in their own context, in their own church, they may be right. I don't know. I'm not going to tell them otherwise. I believe in my context, in my church that I was in, there were definite good things. But it didn't really matter because the bad was bad enough where it was killing them. You can have as many fruit smoothies with kale and protein elements as you want. But as long as there is lead in there, you are ingesting lead. And that lead is going to kill you eventually. And that, to me, is one of, if not the biggest crime that these unhealthy, abusive, toxic churches commit. 
they are not only harming people and giving people unhealthy ideas, beliefs, mentalities, practices, but they are attaching these damaging ideologies to good, healthy, spiritual ones. They're infecting the good and the true with the toxic and the false. And that infection takes over the entire thing. It's one thing to teach somebody a harmful idea, but it is so much worse to give somebody an inherently good, healthy idea, but warp it in a way where it harms them. Somebody might tell you that God hates you, and that's been said in churches before, and that's definitely a harmful mentality. But to tell somebody that God loves you more than anything, yet he is and does all of these things that are so fundamentally not loving, not only damages your perception of who God is, it also damages your perception of what love is. Because instead of simply giving you an independently harmful idea that contrasts a healthy one, which is obviously extremely harmful in and of itself, it is giving you an extremely damaging idea disguised as a healthy one, which not only damages you on a base scale, but also does extreme damage to your perception of what is right and wrong, what is good and bad, what is healthy and toxic which in turn makes you so much more vulnerable to more damage down the line. And that same dynamic can be used for a countless number of different ideas and beliefs under that Christian religious context. And when an unhealthy spiritual community warps these ideas, they inadvertently wring the life out of it and end up making it toxic for the people whom it was meant to be the exact opposite. What they're presented with, whether they realize it now or years down the road, is a fruit smoothie with lead blended into it. And many people, understandably, decide to throw out the entire thing because it is, in fact, killing them, despite whatever may be good about it, whether they recognize it in that moment or not, or believe anything about it was healthy or not. And the unfortunate side of that is, I believe that smoothie did have so much good, so much vitality to offer them. But because of that lead blended in, there's no way I would expect them to drink it. And no way I would recommend somebody to drink it unless some serious change happened to that drink beforehand. And that lead was removed, which leads me to the second direction that people go when faced with this jumble of crumpled papers. The second way I've seen this situation handled where someone is met with this giant jumble of crumpled papers, of all these beliefs and ideas that they once believed so certainly, but now aren't sure what they believe about them and what was healthy and what was unhealthy, the direction that I myself went is to do the dirty work. For me, deep down in my gut, I knew that many of my beliefs were still valid. And what I realized was that just because some of them were stained with false principles and damaging ideologies did not mean that they were untrue at their purest roots. The problem is that it can be incredibly hard to abstract those pure roots from the overwhelming warped ideologies blended in. For example, you tell me that God loves me more than anything, but all these attributes don't line up with that statement. So what parts of them are true about God and which ones are false? I was determined to differentiate the ideas and beliefs that I deemed were true from those I was now learning were false. And the way I visualized this task was as if I had my jumble of crumpled papers of all of these different ideas and beliefs. And in order to really discern which were true, which were unhealthy, which were true, but were maybe warped in with 
unhealthy ideologies attached to them, I had to individually, one by one, remove a single slip of paper from this jumble, iron it out, flatten it out, get the creases out, examine the idea, and really intentionally think about whether what that belief says is what I believe or if it's not anymore. I had to hold each slip of paper up to the light to see if it still fit in the context of what I knew to be true about God. And if I decided that, yes, this idea still falls in line with what I believe to be healthy and true and right, I would place that idea, that paper, into a new pile. And if I determined that the idea I was looking at was unhealthy and toxic and damaging and not in line with what I believe the Bible says and what God says and who God is, I would discard it, throw it in the trash, and be done with it. And in its place, replace it with a refined idea that I was now confident was centered in God. In the book, I relate this process, which many refer to as deconstruction and reconstruction of beliefs. I relate it to the process of a house being treated for termites. I talk about how when a house is infested with termites, it is fumigated, and that giant circus-like tent is thrown over the entire house and sealed up tight. And some sort of pesticide gas is released that kills all the termites without having to do much damage to the house itself. And in my mind, this is very similar to the process of delving into that jumble of crumpled papers. For me, at least, that process of reassessment was like a personal and spiritual fumigation. My home, which could be taken as myself, my mind, my heart, my beliefs, was being infested by an unwanted entity, which was a negligence of Christ. It was a warping of scripture and the presentation of who God is, who Jesus and the Holy Spirit are, the warping of these ideas and beliefs that many of which were healthy and pure on the inside, but were attached with so many human qualities and misgivings and mistreatments. And it was the abuses that this type of environment fostered. And obviously, in most cases, when you get pests in your home, you don't want to abandon your home. It's your home. It's where you belong. It's where you've lived for however long. Your home isn't the problem. It's what is invading it. For me, I still believed and knew in my heart that there was truth in Christianity itself, that I belonged there, but I needed to flush out the part that I knew didn't belong. And for a long time, I believed that my church was synonymous with that place in Christianity as being my home. And I believe in a perfect world it should be, but unfortunately the reality is in many cases it's not. And I had to come to the realization that unfortunately my church was not my home. It was simply aiding the infestation of it. And the longer I waited and let those things fester, the more risk I ran of the whole house eventually being overrun. And if you yourself have gone through this process, or if you're going through it right now, you would know that it is a daunting and taxing task, both in terms of time and emotional energy, to have to sift through every single idea and belief you may have at one point believed wholeheartedly perhaps even blindly, right? And the thing about it is, while there is definitely a starting point, a place where you begin this process, I don't really think it ever really ends. And many people who've gone through this say the same thing. It's a continual process of assessment and discernment of what you believe in contrast or unison with what is being presented to you. And it's a very wise way to live. And as I wrote this book, and as I'm doing this podcast, as I'm recording right now, 
I'm still doing this. I'm still in the middle of this process as day by day, certain situations and interactions will bring a particular idea into question. Often one that I hadn't thought about for a long time, which I will then have to really think about to determine if there is still a place for it in my constantly evolving and developing view of God and church and faith and myself. And slowly, one idea at a time, that jumble of crumpled papers gets smaller and smaller, and the noise returns to a normal frequency. And the assurance in every one of my beliefs grows stronger and stronger because I know that they've been tried and tested. And an aspiration that I've held in these last several years since beginning this process of going through this jumble of crumpled papers is that I didn't want my faith to be blind anymore. Growing up, having blind faith was oftentimes lauded. It was admired. It was the expectant standard that one was always trying to get to. Having blind faith not only in the Bible and in God, but in your church leaders, in the direction those leaders were pushing you and the direction the church was going. It was blind faith in the church's mission and your role in that mission. And of course, most of the time, the church's mission was taught to be parallel and in sync exactly with God's mission and God's will. So having blind faith in the church inadvertently meant having blind faith in God. But the thing about blind faith is that it was looked down upon to question things. From my experience growing up in the church for 18, 19 years, during those young years of elementary, middle, high school, and even some college, It felt like you were expected to take the ideas, take the beliefs, take the teachings and practices that were given to you from those higher up on the church rung and follow through with them wholeheartedly and unquestioningly. And then in turn, pass them on to the next people, the next converts, the next believers. Because to question or doubt those ideas and teachings didn't mean working through them to attain a deeper conviction on them. It meant veering off from the straight and narrow path that those teachings would lead you to. So people didn't question, people didn't doubt, at least verbally and outwardly. And what that usually ends up resulting in is a church full of people who believe each and every idea the church presses onto them uncontestedly, but really not have many individually different reasons why. And for many of those things, those ideas and beliefs, if you were to ask one of the church members why they believed that specific idea, they would either sometimes not have an answer, except that it's what our church believes, or they would just give you some tried and true rehearsed response that everyone in the church would tell you almost word for word, despite who you asked. Which is not to say that they might not believe it. I'm sure most people do. Whatever their reason is for believing a certain thing, they believe that that's the reason why. But they never had to come to that conclusion themselves by actually seeking the deep understanding of why they believe that idea. It was simply passed on to them and told to them that that's why they should believe that. And they're expected to blindly accept it. And if they don't, then they're really not following God. And what that quickly becomes is a bunch of people believing something, not because they have sought it and want to believe it, but because they were told and they have to believe it if they want to call themselves Christians. And that kind of dynamic really isn't only bad when you get bad ideas pressed onto you. Of course, it's bad when ideas are presented to you that are unhealthy and you're expected to take them on without questioning them. But the thing is, with this kind of dynamic, 
with this blind, shallow, unquestioning faith, even when it's good ideas and fine ideas and healthy ideas that are presented onto you, it's still a detriment to a deep, authentic faith. Because what good is a healthy idea that you believe if you really haven't had to seek deeply to gain a deep, soul-level understanding of why you believe it? How much power does a good idea actually have to influence your life if it hasn't been allowed to seep that deep into your mind and your heart and your soul? I believe that if I'd been raised in a spiritual environment where I was encouraged not to have blind faith and to really seek independent, individual understandings and reasoning for believing the things that I did, I would have developed the muscles to discern the unhealthy ideas and beliefs I was taking on much earlier than I did. And the same goes for many, many people, not just in my church, but in many churches. But the reality is, many of the churches promoting such blind faith are the very ones utilizing such a system to take advantage of and control its members. And ever since I started this process of diving into my jumble of crumpled papers and reevaluating my beliefs one at a time, one of my biggest intentions has been to be intentional about it and to take the time necessary to question and seek a deeper, fuller understanding of the topic I'm dealing with, both in how it aligns with scripture and with God as well as how it aligns with me and my understanding and my perspective of what I believe about these things on both a practical and moral level. Because if I am not able to fully invest in the things that I believe, then when the time comes that I'll need to utilize them to lean on, I won't be able to because I won't have the roots necessary. And if your beliefs aren't deep enough or strong enough to allow you to lean and rely on them in times of trial, then what is the point of having that belief in the first place? That's what beliefs are for, to guide us and to help us perceive and make sense of the world around us and who we are. I don't want to believe things just to feel safe or accepted or for some false sense of security. I want beliefs that can genuinely help me grow into a better person and lead me to a deeper understanding and wider perspective of the world around me and equip me with the tools I need to be able to take care of myself to the point where I have access to be able to help other people as well. And I personally believe that many of those beliefs can be found in Christianity when they are at their purest, most authentic roots. And that's why it's worth it to me to work through these crumpled papers. Maybe you have your own jumble of crumpled papers. The odds are, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do, or have, or will. And it may not only pertain to our perspective of God or church. There are so many areas of life that we give ourselves to, only to later learn that the ideas associated with them were nowhere near what we have now grown to believe. Whether we're talking about relationships, or lifestyles, or just singular mindsets. And many people, when faced with this jumble of crumpled papers, don't deal with it, because they can't. Or at least they don't believe they have the ability to. Especially if they know enough to know that their beliefs aren't entirely accurate, yet still lack a thorough enough understanding to know what the truth actually is. And that's such a hard place to be, right? Knowing that the things you believed weren't true or were off, but being in the middle ground where you haven't yet found the direction to know what the truth is, what idea to replace that crumpled paper with. It's a very uncertain time. And that's the place where many people call it quits out of the fear of what they don't know. 
But I believe it's by having these conversations with people who have gone through similar experiences and thus have gained a similar understanding of these issues and how they can affect us. And most of all, sharing in our journey and the ways that we're navigating it and how we are each individually processing our jumble of crumpled papers, all of these disillusioned, misconstrued thoughts, ideas, and beliefs, as each of us are seeking clarity, are seeking a deeper, fuller, more accurate picture of ourselves, of the world around us, and of God. And the best part about this is, unlike some unhealthy churches, we're not being forced to conform to the same mold. So we don't have all the same answers, and we're not all being led in the same ways. And because of that, each individual person has something individual to offer, rather than just a different voice reciting the same lines. And in that light, I'm hoping that this podcast is playing a role in that exact dynamic, and I hope that it continues to do so in the future. Anyway, that's it for this episode, guys. I wanted to not have a guest to be able to thoroughly explain and dive into this big metaphor full of many tiny metaphors um, of this jumble of crumpled papers idea because I felt, first off, it's the title chapter of the book and it is the through line of the entire book. It's the through line of the entire podcast and I wanted to make sure to fully explain what that idea is and what that visual is that I've given to this process. So I hope it's helpful for you as you navigate your own processes and as you work through your crumpled papers one idea at a time. Before I go, I want to add, if you would be so kind, I know I've asked this a few times in the past, but it's been a while. I would so appreciate it if you would take a moment, if you haven't already, to rate and review the podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review and a star rating. If you're on Spotify, I think you can just do a star rating. And whatever other platform you're on, if they allow you to do it, that'd be awesome. Um, but I'm not sure what the rest of the, of the platforms allow you to do. But a rating and review would be so grateful in showing other people that you're enjoying the podcast and hopefully allowing more people to hear the conversations that we're having. So thank you in advance for that. I really appreciate it. And that's it for me. I will see you guys next week. Next Tuesday, we're getting back on track with the Tuesday episode starting next week. So I will see you guys then. Until then, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers podcast.